Welcome back to season two of Sustainably Speaking Beyond the Aula. I'm your host, Ari Rone Derni, and today I'm joined by Gustavo Pocheco Portilla, Lucrezia Vaishide, and Emiliano Wermos, all members of Batch 29 of the EMP program. The theme of this episode is Insti Insights, and it's a very fitting theme because today we're going to hear student perspectives on Sustainability Solutions in Context, the capstone course of the Environmental Management and Policy Program. As we discussed in the introduction to Season 2, the EMP program teaches students to evaluate, design, and implement management and policy responses to complex environmental challenges. Sustainability Solutions in Context focuses on this implementation component by offering students the opportunity to implement the theory and skills they've learned during the master's in the outside world. This year, Batch 29 split into nine teams, working with different external clients to consult them on a wide variety of sustainability challenges. Of those nine teams, the three projects we're gonna discuss today are circularity of rare earth elements in the offshore wind industry. This team's client was RWE Offshore, The next project is called Setting Ambitions Towards a Circular Future for IT, and their client was Circular Electronics Initiative. And third, Wines of Alentejo Sustainability Program and the EU Green Claims Directive, where the client was Vinos do Alentejo. As the name of the master's program suggests, these projects focused on the interplay between business and policy, and this link will become more obvious as we dive into the details later on in the episode. The primary objectives of the SSC course are to deliver value to the client, and as a result, learn valuable lessons on driving sustainability in complex global contexts. The culmination of the course includes customized deliverables to the clients, as well as a joint public report titled Proactive Paths, Innovative Solutions for Today's Sustainability Challenges, which will be published by Lind University in the coming weeks. Rather than summarize the course or provide updates on the clients and projects, this episode aims to reflect on key learnings and takeaways. To do this, I'm happy to welcome Gustavo, Lucrezia, and Emiliano to the podcast. Welcome, you three. Hi. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for the invite. I can start by introducing myself. Uh, My name is Emiliano. I'm 24, originally from Italy, and I do have a background in international relations. Nice. Uh, Hi, Emiliano. Uh, Thanks, Ari, for inviting us here. I'm Lucrezia, and I come from Lithuania originally, but I studied in the UK before, and my background is in communications. Again, thanks, Ari, for the invite. And hi to the other two members. I'm Gustavo. I'm from Ecuador and have a background in environmental engineering. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you all and discuss your projects. By the end of the episode, I hope we've addressed two overarching questions. What lessons do the students at the Institute offer for sustainability transitions in the present? And what do the students take away from their projects that they can apply in their future careers tackling other sustainability problems? So let's dive in. Who's your client and what challenge do they face that your team was tasked with solving? In our case, our client was the Circular Electronics Initiative. So it was an alliance of 29 producers, manufacturers, recyclers in the IT sector. And well, one of their core activities that they really want to push is to advocate for better consumption models when it comes to IT, really trying to push the circularity of the IT products. So our task basically was to develop a policy document that they call the policy platform to set their ambitions on circularity for the sector and the members of the CEI. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Um, Yeah, and uh, for me, my project was uh, with the Alentejo Regional Wine Growing Commission that's in Portugal, and they have their own sustainability program 
where they assign sustainability labels to wines grown in the Alentejo region that meet certain criteria. Um, yeah, and it was uh, really interesting. We were four girls on a team and got to travel to, uh, to Portugal for the site visits. And one of the challenges that we covered is that uh, there's an upcoming EU Green Claims Directive. And we just wanted to see how the uh, sustainability label is doing <laughs> in the context of the upcoming directive. Right. And our, our project was with RWE Offshore, uh, which is like the second largest offshore operator uh, globally. And it's like a subsidiary of the German multinational energy company RWE. And the entire company, entire RWE is currently undertaking like a rapid transition uh, towards a, a sustainable energy sources. So like uh, RWE Offshore is taking more and more space into their strategy and it's expanding rapidly uh, within the European market, but also also abroad. And one of the most prominent challenges they have to face now, since they are like upscaling so much, is the circularity and the recyclability of permanent magnets. And so permanent magnets and magnets in general like are extremely important for a wind turbine since they are the element, the components within the generator that converts the kinetic energy from the, the spinning of the blades into electric, uh, electrical energy. Um, so like magnets are essential for, for offshore wind and in particular these new permanent magnets, they have, uh, they contain uh, rare earth elements, which were like the main, the main point of our, of our project, since uh, these rare earth elements like REEs, um, they represent like a, a challenge for the industry, but also for the tra sustainable transition of the of entire like European Union and, and different economies, since they are extremely rare due to like the really low concentration in the earth crust. Um, and so like the European Union, for instance, is trying to reduce the amount of virgin materials and virgin REEs. And so they are trying to push for more, the, for like enhanced circularity of these of components. And so, like, in order to to face these these challenges and like to assess the circularity of permanent magnets and REEs, uh, RWE wants to explore what's out there, what other industries are currently are currently doing to tackle this issue. Um, and so, like, this was like the the main the main task we we had for for this project. Thank you all for sharing. These are all super interesting projects, and I'm excited to learn more about them as we go along. Why did you choose these projects? Well, uh, working with the Circular Electronics Initiative was one of my priorities. I had some some past experience in circular economy research back in Ecuador, and um, and this topic was more related to policy, which is a topic that I haven't really touched upon during the the, the master's program in a practical way. So I saw this as an opportunity for me to learn more about uh, circularity when it comes to uh, topics of advocacy, for example, and it was very interesting to to work around that to get to know what are the interests of the members, what are the interests of the industry, and how these interests can be translated in powerful uh, advocacy efforts to push for our real circularity, let's say, in the IT sector, considering that that's uh, for example, e-waste now is one of the fastest grow growing waste streams in the world. So it's a very relevant topic. It's It was timely presented, let's say, and 
and it's super nice to to have the opportunity to work with people with uh, with this initiative specifically that really wants to make an impact and wants to be very progressive in this topic of circular economy. Yeah, um, Gustavo, I feel like your project sounded really uh, ambitious and like your client is uh, setting up to you to for like a challenging task. It was challenging, definitely. Yeah, but you did it, so that's that's done. Um, yeah, yeah, I also am just so surprised at the level of ambition that that they're interested in and with such large corporate players as well. That's uh, probably the most unique and, and I hope something we can discuss more later on. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and to continue on your question, Ari, I chose to work with Vinos Dolentejo because in my past, as I said, I worked with communications and studied communications and um, I stumbled upon the concept of greenwashing and really didn't want to be a part of it, of creating greenwashing in the in the world, uh, in, in the world of marketing speci especially. And um, yeah, so that EU Green Claims Directive uh, is going to try to fight the greenwashing that exists now. And uh, actually EU did like a study that there's like more than 50% of the green claims right now are like unsubstantiated or misleading the consumer. And the wow. whole point of the directive is to basically tackle that. Um, so I felt like it is relevant for me as a communications practitioner. Um, and I did have a bit of background in the past. So I really wanted to learn more about the directive alongside helping the, the company in Portugal, which is, of course is exciting because it uh, includes a filter. Yeah, I mean, both your projects sound extremely interesting. In fact, like when we had to pick a project in the first place, I was like, quite unsure uh, which one to pick. And I definitely consider all uh, your your two your two projects. I bet. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> were best. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and they go hands in hands. Um, but well, like I I I wanted to to like I, I wanted to work with RW Offshore mainly because like I didn't know anything about the wind industry in the first place so i thought it was like a, the best opportunity to to start digging into it and to get more insights and to work with like different stakeholders uh, in the in the wind industry was the the best opportunity and then as uh, also gustavo mentioned earlier like circularity is playing like a really big role in like make uh, the wind industry more more sustainable and so it was like um, a very interesting project of very big challenge as well because like um like the circularity of permanent magnets but like circularity in general in the wind industry is still like a very very early stage um and so like i liked how broad this project was and like how insightful it was thanks for all of your responses that was so great to hear and i think really gets to the core of these of these projects my next question is were there any pivotal moments during the project that significantly altered your team's approach or perception of the initial task? Yeah, I, I can start with that one since it's very related to my answer to the to the previous question. In fact, like at first, um, while it was extremely exciting to have like this such broad uh, scope and broad project, like after the first week, it became clear there was like more complicated and more like challenging than we expected. I mean, I, I'm sure it was for all of you guys. Um, but so we had to like change a bit our approach in the sense we had to like be very, very like focused on our, the goal and what the company was expecting from us. And so meanwhile, in the first place, we were more like uh, like on a more general level. We were just like exploring since also because we we, we didn't have much experience with the sector. So we we were just exploring. Uh, but then when we understood the complexity of, of this of this 
topic and this challenge, um, we had to narrow down the scope and to have like a very specific goal. I can imagine a lot of other groups can relate with Absolutely. relate with that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very challenging thing mm-hmm. to do in such a short amount of yeah. time. Exactly. I was just nodding the whole time Emiliano was speaking. <laughs> uh, and also it feels like if you don't know anything about the field, you go into it, you're learning more and then you feel like you know less. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think for us, it wasn't as, as dramatic in a way. Um, just that, so the, the Green Claims Directive is still in the proposal stage. And initially, for maybe the first three weeks of the project, we were sure that, well, this will come into force in 2026. But maybe like closer to the end of the project, we got to talk to someone who worked closely um, and yeah, basically works closely in Brussels. And they, w- they told us that it's actually not so sure that it will come into effect in even 2026. So then, uh, yeah, we had to change a little bit the way we're wording the rest of the interviews and what are the findings. Um, and the uncertainty was there since the beginning, but then by the end of the project, it kind of grew. So we realized that our client is really having this uh, proposal or like this directive on the radar, like very in advance. I mean, it is good to have it, but uh, they felt like it was gonna it was gonna affect them a bit sooner. And I guess that there is a lot of companies that are getting ready for this, and it's super nice to have a client like like yours that we're very anticipating on doing this. So, kudos to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, coming back to the question, I think um, there was not a moment that change or approach or perception towards the task. But one of the most challenging parts was actually at the start, because when when we started, we saw we have a very diverse background. We were four people with different expertises. For example, we had people with experience in policy and development projects and stuff like that. So the challenging part was how to put together, how to plan the project and how to tackle from our points of expertise. So... Um, that part was the the thing that took the most time, that challenged us the most, just to find the theory that we, we should go on to start, for example, collecting uh, information and stuff like that. But I think a key element there was uh, organizing ourselves, having like a good project management in that sense. So to put those intellectual resources in a good way so we can tackle the project. And I think one of the core elements for projects not being so difficult to address is that the client, the Circular Electronics Initiative, had a a very well-defined problem and product that they wanted in the beginning. So yes, that helped a lot to avoid like uh, potential issues during the, the development of the consultancy project. It sounds like the nature of the challenges for your three groups, although they share some things, was actually quite quite different and uh there's a lot a lot more lessons that uh that hopefully as we go further along uh we'll dive into further as well so that provides some background i think on the the projects overall Um, now let's try to get into some of the core findings and and details what innovations or emerging trends did you discover that are particularly promising for the future of the industry or sector that you worked in well I, i can take that first an emerging trend we can say in the IT sector is that there is this, I think you've seen it, like, for example, when it comes to phones, the new phones that come every year, they are basically the same from last year. So now there is the need of of innovating in a different way. And now circular economy and sustainability are 
topics of interest because th they can also drive attention uh, to the companies by the clients, you know? So in that case, uh, now companies are trying to, to look for these differentiators by exploring the multiple R strategies of circular economy. You know, there is this framework of the circular economy of the 10 R's, not the three R's. So yeah, and we saw, for example, that there are some companies that are working a lot, at least here in Sweden, in the repair scene or the refurbishment. So th those are the trends that are now. So And also we can see that there is a growing interest in alternative purchasing models, for example, like pay-per-use, for example, like that, or software as a service, product as a service. But one of the things is like when it comes to drive ambition, at least with our client, is like the trends, the, the inevitable ones are the ones about rethinking business models, rethinking how the sector looks like. So, and, and that's very interesting because that not only pushes the, the companies to reinvent their, themselves in a way, but also pushes the consumers uh, to be more educated and that always uh, relies on, for example, new policies and stuff. So that's mm -hmm. the general trend. That's, that's like the big picture when it comes to circularity. And that's one of the the biggest lessons that the team, well, the team of four that we had, uh, that's what we achieved with this project. So it was an interesting experience on that to identify those trends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that some of the R's looked like the businesses really don't want to look at those R's, you know, like rethink your business and you're like, no, 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 I like the way I'm doing it. I can make it just a little bit more recyclable. Exactly. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, it's a way of challenging themselves. So yes, it, it's difficult to challenge yourself, but I think it's inevitable, at least in the current scene of how things are, are going. Yeah. And then I would say in the wine sector and sustainability labeling, um, there was one like trend that I didn't really think about before, but apparently consumer generally is not really interested in paying extra for sustainable wines. They think it's more of a, like a responsibility of the producers to produce sustainable wine in general. And then we talked with the like alcohol retailers in Sweden and in Norway. And it's apparently like not a big thing for looking for sustainable wine, which already for us was like, okay, but that's what we're working with. Um, but what I'm thinking, what's a particularly promising emerging trend uh, that's going to happen with the directive coming into force is that it's going to try to weed out like the weak sustainability labels that are actually not su substantiated enough or not like uh, critical enough in comparison to other labels talking about the same uh, aspect of sustainability and so on like hopefully i don't know by 2030 maybe we as a consumers when we go to the shops we will only see like like strong and substantiated sustainability labels which will actually help us make sustainable choices and like support the green transition like of the world um yeah so i think then for my client particularly since the their sustainability label is really ambitious and uh, they do way more work then they communicate about. So then this type of directive is actually gonna like help them prevail and potentially get a little bit more like market shares. Um, and also another like fun saying that uh, some of our interviewees said is more like, so now we reach the point where you cannot profit from sustainability anymore. You cannot use sustainability as a marketing strategy. Sustainability is gonna now cost. So if you do wanna make any green claims, you'll have to 
pay for auditing and make sure that you have like good, well-monitored data to like show evidence of any claim or sustainability label that you want to use. Yeah, and as uh, Lucrezia was like mentioning earlier, like this upcoming policy regulations will play like a major role also in the offshore industry. In fact, there is this um, very big EU directive, uh, this Critical Raw Material Act that was proposed um, early this year by the European Commission. And this act and this directive will aim at targeting um, the circularity of critical materials and REEs are in fact critical materials. So like when uh, the energy operators and also the producers of offshore mills, they will have to to, to, to buy new um, permanent magnets, they will have to take into consideration this upcoming regulation, they will have to have some specific amount of scrap materials within their new components. And so like uh, along with this uh, massive EU uh, Critical Raw Material Act, there are also other uh, policy regulations at national level that are like um, fostering this uh, transition towards uh, circularity in, in the industry. And there's also, at the same time, there's also like this trend in the past years that's about like the social pressure that's increasing and mm-hmm. it's always been quite strong towards mm-hmm. the offshore sector mm-hmm. since there were, there was the problem of like uh, recycling blades in the first place and now it looks like they cannot manage to solve it mm-hmm. uh, in fact they did that different different cooperation between different stakeholders and so there was like a lot of communication between different actors uh, in the supply chain the value chain of of blades and they managed to to deal with it and so probably this is something that should happen also like in this case in the case of permanent magnets because like right now like a extremely peculiar characteristic of the offshore sector is the unbalanced power relations between different uh, stakeholders since there are very few for instance um, windmill producers in in europe for offshore um, operators and so they have like way more power than the operators per se and so like kind of operators are like kind of have to oblige and so it's quite difficult for operators to leverage their uh, suppliers in order to make them change towards more sustainable components sustainable products and sustainable permanent magnets in this case so like overall we can we can say that even though the entire wind industry is slowly moving towards circularity and towards like recyclability of of the main critical components um i think like the main trend is that there is a huge lack of communication and between between the different stakeholders and so i'm like while we were doing interviews like we noticed that the only way to go forward is to like as happened before for instance with with blades is like to enhance communication to like to create some like kind of platforms in order to like um, bring all different stakeholders and all different actors along the value chain at the same table and try to find like a joint solution because like that's the only way forward that's such a perfect transition to my next question what key insight or solution did your team find or propose yeah uh, first of all like we their request was to have like a understanding of what's happening uh, outside their operations so like what's happening in the wind industry what's happening in other 
uh, industries in order to get some some like um, uh, some inspiration to like and and to apply different different uh, solutions to this increasing uh, increasing problem. But um, our main um, our main proposal, like our f- final proposal, was actually. Um, it was, were actually like three different options that RWE could pursue in order to start dealing with the circularity of uh, permanent magnets and REEs. In fact, we proposed like this, the, the first of these three uh, options was like to prioritize internal efforts since it's like, since there are very, very unbalanced power relations, it's very difficult for them to cooperate, to collaborate. So probably the easiest thing to do is to start from like, from the internal uh, an internal point, and so focusing on, for instance, the turbine extension, like the lifetime extension of the turbine, and also, for instance, for the refurbishment of their wind farms. Meanwhile, the option two involved to engage a dialogue with downstream collaborators, since we noticed that upstream it's very very difficult to to make changes currently um, but we found out during our interviews and during our literature review that there are a lot of uh, small startups that are trying to find the best and most feasible way to 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 recycle and to repurpose the the permanent magnets and so we thought uh, that was like the most feasible um, option for for the company just to to investigate what's happening downstream and then like our our final uh, option option number three was like to in fact to advocate but like the more in the long term advocates um upstream collaboration for enhanced turbine design and and also like try to destroy these barriers that are currently there you definitely managed to do quite a lot uh, and uh, suggest a lot of we tried, huh? <laughs> alternatives for uh, within the six weeks. Um, yeah, and I, I would say in Wines of Valentejo case, um, so, you know, their initial question was basically whether their sustainability program and the label will prevail in the face of the upcoming directive or like when the directive comes into force. And the short answer was uh, yes. But what's really important is also not just look about like look into the label, but also what type of green claims are the companies making, uh, well, companies like the wine producers making on their bottles aside of the label. And then uh, for that, uh, we kind of created an environmental claims substantiation framework for them, um, which makes sure that all the claims that come into come to the on the shelf and like to the eyes of the consumer are like substantiated and that should start with like you always even as a marketing person you should always look at the data that is available at the producer's level and then there should be always the ongoing communication between the the producers that have the data and the marketing teams that create the communications Um, and it doesn't matter if it's internal or external um, marketing company doing that and then you also need to make sure that that data that's behind the claim, let's say we are more sustainable than like another another wine from the same region, then you need to have like really clear proof why why is that the case. Um, and that needs to be available for the consumer, not necessarily on the like product label itself, but it's just somewhere on the website. Maybe it can be incorporated as a QR code uh, next to the yeah, next to the claims. And then also the whole directive, 
just to like wrap it up for people who don't know it. Um, so the claims will not like the claims about any product will not be able to reach the, the shelves if they're not substantiated. And there will be uh, in every country in EU in every member state, there's going to be like a organizational body that is checking those claims before they go out. Um, that means it's going to cost the money and it's going to take a lot of time. So it's important that when you reach the point of the audit of the claims that you want to make about your product, let's say it's wine, you need to already make sure that you have the data that is available for the consumer, and then you pay the money for the auditor to audit that claim. And so our idea with the framework is basically to ensure that the money money is not wasted, that you don't just get declined by the auditor. Um, yeah, so we just suggested like a little triangle, triangulation, <laughs> like a triangle of sustainability, marketing and legal team to look into the claim before it goes to the verification body. Uh, I was saying auditing before, but it's the auditing, verifying the claims basically. And then if that claim or the label is verified, so it has substantiated data for it, then, um, then there's a certificate of conformity that's issued to that product basically and it's going to be accepted across all member states in the EU so then you don't need to worry so uh, like as long as it's confirmed and verified once then you have this certificate and there's going to be like an internal system where all the EU member states can like see the the certificate and it's also important to like review that claims have the substantiated data so you might need to like keep track of the data and have it like readily available upon their requests as well so that's what we produce for our client as like a more of a tangible deliverable, like apart from, of course, many, many pages of reports. <laughs> that sounds like quite a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I see that most of our deliverables were roadmaps towards the implementation of different solutions because it's now interesting to see how sustainability is becoming the norm rather than the exception like it was like some years ago. And, and that's the case, sadly, in other countries and I guess... Well, I see that the EU is really pushing, let's say, for for more sustainable practices in general. But uh, when it comes to our contributions, so we had a very interesting approach on that. So, for example, our key insight, we can say, was to put in one single matrix what the members of the Circular Electronics Initiative were doing in the life cycle of the IT product. Could it be like? Uh, raw materials extraction, the use stage, the distribution, or the yeah, or the end of life management. That's uh, one part, and then we identified what they were doing around circularity. So it was very interesting to to map at least a few of them, uh, checking how they are doing and how they can they can work towards circularity. But that was that, that was one of the insights, one of the things that we did. But in the end, we this analysis was. Uh, complemented by a very detailed policy analysis. So um, we mapped different policies that can affect the, the course of circularity for the IT, uh, IT sector in the EU, because that was, let's say, our focus for this project. So we identified those two things, like where is the policy now? Where is the, the policy effort? Where are the policy efforts uh, heading to? And what are the capacities of the members to just to be accurate in what they want to advocate for. So because we didn't want to, to them to commit to something very, very ambitious, but yeah, that, that, that couldn't be the case, for example. So we wanted to match their capacities, their practices, 
to what they can do in terms of advocacy. So in the end, we developed a nice policy platform. That's what the CEI calls the, the document that we produced. So it's a very condensed document. So basically, it's, we had to boil down all of our research into a three-page document. But in the end, we produced these nine actionable items that they have to discuss about. But basically, these nine uh, points are meant to, to define what... Uh, the members should advocate for. And we divided this in five core topics. So the first thing is how to narrow the material loops, how to slow the material loops, and uh, points for advocacy related to better design or how to rethink business models. And then we went for slowing the, the material loops when it comes to refurbishing, to repair, to reuse all the, the arts related uh, to the use stage of IT products and how to close them the material loops, because uh, that's uh, a core activity that's currently been done, and that's very necessary to to actually close the, the, the loops and close the circle, let's say. So that those were strategies around um, recycling and recovery of materials. But as we saw that, yes, circularity doesn't, it's not only about materials. So there are other topics that should be addressed to have a sustainable circular economy. So in that sense, we identified uh, I'm doing some research, that the social aspects were something that was often overlooked. So we also included that advocacy could be headed towards that to ensure that uh, transition towards a circular economy uh, cannot happen without including uh, the social dimension of that throughout the life cycle of the IT products, be it at the first or the last stages. And also we... Um, identifying some transversal topics. And I think that's one of the convergence to, uh, points uh, with other projects because uh, there is a lot of, uh, for example, uh, EU regulations, EU directives that are implemented or are potentially uh, implemented in the future. And for example, we have reporting and that applies to all of the life cycle stages, to all the, the parts where the IT producers or manufacturers or players in general are intervening. So those topics are very necessary just to make sure that things uh, happen in a good way, in compliance, and yes, in, in a very harmonized way, because that was one of the bottlenecks that we found. That, For example, some regulations say something about one specific thing, and then other, let's say, international regulations say a very different thing about the same aspect. So... That, that was something that we proposed uh, as a point for advocacy for the CEI members. So it was interesting to, to combine all the, all the research about uh, what the producers are doing, what the policies are, and what the policies are likely to be to define this ambition. So, so it's a, a very interesting uh, project that we had, and we are really looking forward to see how this can be translated into these uh, advocacy strategies before like different policymakers around the, the world because the the circular electronics initiative doesn't only focus on on Europe because the members are for example companies that operate on a global scale so yeah hopefully the advocacy points that we developed can be translated into different actions beyond the EU well, there's so much I wish we could dive into uh, for all three of your of your projects, but 
unfortunately we are are limited on time i know we could speak for hours about this so now that we've discussed at least a little bit about some of the deliverables and findings that you had in your projects i feel like it's appropriate to reflect a bit on the process more broadly the course wrapped up last week at the time of recording so we've had a little bit of time to reflect on our own and determine what what lessons we've learned what will you take away from your project that you expect to use in your life outside the walls of the INSTE? Well, I can take that. <laughs> uh, well, what I'm taking uh, from as a learning experience is from a practical point of view, project management is king apparently. So setting everything from objectives to specific, from general objectives to specific objectives, activities makes consulting life. So, well, let's say, easier because it doesn't become easy but yeah it helps to to navigate uh, the problem and also the importance of very nice communication clear communication with the client i think um, the the coordinators of the course did a very nice job like introducing us to a consultant in the very in the first week so that I've, at least from from our group uh, we saw that as a, one of the most valuable <laughs> valuable skills that we had, like getting to know those little tricks, for example, to talk to the client and get the information. And yeah, I think uh, having the clear communication within the team, uh, with the client, uh, with the stakeholders is key for every project. And I think this was a very nice opportunity to explore how we can we can practice those communication skills. And in the end, that's a very relevant skill for delivering a high quality product because then having this interaction with the clients and the stakeholders, uh, yeah, actually makes them feel that this, that the product, that the, the deliverable is theirs, not only the consultants. Yeah, I would say <laughs> that I could I could I could say so many things to, uh, to answer this question, but I guess to choose one, um, I think like bounce off a little bit of the like project management idea. I think it's really important uh, to keep meeting minutes of every interaction with your client because it's really hard to just get on with the flow and like forget some minor things that you might waste time on later on, like re-asking. Um, and also, uh, I feel like it didn't happen in our case, but I can imagine just like making sure that whatever you're agreeing on is already written on paper and then you don't get like broadened scope of your project, let's say, and you can always refer back to like the initial agreement. Um, yeah, there's so many things I'd like to say, Ari, but uh, I know the time is pressing. Yeah, absolutely. Totally relate with uh, both Lucrezia and, and Gustavo. Like uh, it was extremely important like to... To, to note every single information down because also like very small detail could be like extremely important for the final deliverable. And it was extremely um, important as well to really understand the point of view of the company and also the point of view of different interviewees because we, we were lucky enough to have quite a lot of interviewees. And so the entire project helped us to, first of all, understand and learn better how to conduct uh, interviews and also how to like how to try to 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 dialogue with um, with the interviewees in order to get the most out of them, but at the same time also to respect the sensitivity of like such a delicate topic as like a permanent magnets and like this like, a really competitive environment within within the offshore industry. I feel like uh, interviewing a lot of people will come 
like experience of interviewing a lot of people will come in handy when we're doing our thesis. I know, Ari, you asked about the outside of walls of Insti, but I feel like we're really thinking about the thesis and uh, interviewing <laughs> yeah. a lot of people yes, then as well. Definitely. And you really have to keep track of the time, for example, when uh, it's very likely to happen that someone wants to to make their voice more heard than the others. There are more active voices. So it's also one uh, very nice insight and one nice skill that we got to practice, for example, to to help navigate that, to facilitate the the, the meetings saying, oh, okay, we got enough from you. So let's let the other participants get um, get their things, their thoughts like in the in the meeting as well. So that's also very, very important to, to have. And I really resonate with that that you mentioned. Very nice. Well, let's conclude with a little bit of an unconventional question, calling this a lightning round. So I'm going to say a theme or term that emerged from the conversation, and I'd like if you could provide a nearly instantaneous gut reaction. Um, the first word, term, phrase that comes to your mind when I mention my phrase, and maybe uh, it'll even live on in uh, future episodes of the of the podcast. Woohoo! Are you ready? <laughs> I think so. Yes, we are ready. <laughs> okay, let's try a few and see how it goes. Circular. Phones. <laughs> I, saw, I saw you trying to. <laughs> yeah, well, she was faster. She was faster. What was yours? Yeah. Not uh, phones. For me, it was economy, actually, <laughs> to go back to the concept. Hmm. Okay. Policy. Green claims. Oh, you're fast. Agreement. I win, I win. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Uh, I was going for agreement. Okay. Next. Stakeholder. Cooperation. <laughs> on the same on the same on the same page we said <laughs> yeah. there, but yeah. i can feel the competition heating up mm-hmm. okay consulting fun Oof. <laughs> <laughs> no comment <laughs> future the, maybe yeah. that's our best response yet mm-hmm. impact environment question mark human <laughs> human impact <laughs> I saw your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was my face. <laughs> Everything is an impact. <laughs> Everything is related to humans as well. <laughs> it's harder than I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Resilience. Learning. EMP. Oh, yes. Oh, Learning nice. during EMP. <laughs> the icing on the cake there. Nice one. <laughs> okay, final one. Ecosystem. Sustainability. Communication. Buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> okay. At least I got one answer in there. Yeah. You guys are all too fast. Well, that turned out better than I expected. So I don't know if that really wraps things up properly, but I just want to say thank you so much for your, your insights and reflections uh, to each of you, Gustavo, Lucrezia, and Emiliano. I've learned a lot, and I know our audience will be eager to learn from you too. There are so many takeaways and conclusions I could make, but I wanted to highlight one that cuts across all three of your perspectives and knowledge. And that is this interplay between business and policy, which are often thought of in a free market paradigm as oppositional actors, but are in reality highly intertwined. This nexus is the reason the EMP program has its split focus, and it's an important reminder that neither private nor political sustainability solutions can succeed independently. Collaboration within and between industry and society is necessary to address the environmental challenges we face. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Until next time.